0: Welcome to the New Space India podcast, a bi-weekly talk show that exclusively captures insightful conversations with people contributing to advancement of space activities in India. The New Space India podcast is pleased to announce our association with Dassault Systems, a global leader in providing business and people with collaborative virtual environments to imagine sustainable innovations. Dassault Systems solutions support startups small and medium-sized enterprises, and original equipment manufacturers in developing disruptive solutions for space launchers and satellite propulsion. Recently, a supply chain digitization study with Dassault Systems was conducted to provide a foundational understanding of the supplier landscape in the Indian space ecosystem. Please use the link in the description to download the public white paper of the results of this study which will also give you a perspective on how ready Indian suppliers are to enter the global space market. Hi, Parth. Welcome to this episode of the New Space India podcast.
1: Thank you, NP. It's a pleasure to be on your podcast.
0: So Skylo is a company that has been following uh, for about 18 months or so. It's uh, very impressive work that you've been uh, doing. So before we get to Skylo, what is your background, where you come from, what got you into space and what got you, you know, to start Skylo?
1: Sure, NP. Uh... You know, I'm uh, originally from Calcutta. I have always found it exciting to work on aerospace, and that led me to Purdue, where I did my undergrad, and uh, subsequently, I went to MIT for grad school. I had an opportunity to work on Department of Defense uh, projects. While I was at MIT, I was funded by the Air Force uh, Research Labs and uh, subsequently also had the chance to serve on the US delegation to ICAO which is the UN global body on aviation and connectivity after about a year i decided to pursue my mba at stanford and uh, uh, while i was at uh, the business school there couldn't really uh, stay away from the engineering side of campus so routinely ventured out and Connected with uh, folks like Professor Andrew Kalman, who was one of the original pioneers, actually, of the CubeSat uh, platform. Um, you may have done some work with Pumpkin through SatSearch in the past, but uh, really, I had added, added an opportunity to connect with some of the pioneers in the telecom, data, and satellite uh, industries, which gave birth to a research project at Stanford, which then catapulted into Skylo. So that's uh, just a little bit about uh, my background.
0: Right. And of course, you know, you talk about, you know, all these telecommunications, satellites and so on. So they are for some people, of course, uh, in the CubeSat, small sat world is very new because people talk about technology, not about applications. And, you know, you're focusing a lot on the applications part of using space and providing services uh, on here on the ground. So what is the vision of Skylo and, you know, what are you trying to do?
1: I think you're absolutely right. You know, that uh, technology here is is not the focus. I often tell people that satellites are no different than mobile towers. And sometimes I'm perceived as being, you know, cynical in nature. But the reality is that networks are networks, whether they are terrestrial or space based. And When we started uh, Skylo, our vision was a world where connectivity for machines, sensors and devices is as ubiquitous as the sky. Because if you think about it, all vehicles, all the next gen vehicles, vessels and infrastructure are being sensorized and computing is becoming lower and lower cost. You know, the average cost of a sensor is now come down to less than 30, 35 cents, which is a phenomenal opportunity for machine data to be generated, but the gap is in how it's transported. And so Skylo is a global fabric of connectivity for machine data that can be transformative for entire industries around the world. And where we shine is connecting machines and sensors absolutely anywhere on the planet, even if there is no cellular coverage. We just so happened to have built the entire network over satellite, and I can get into a little bit about the the history and the backstory as well on how we started. It was very unintuitive our journey, but having said that, what we realized at Stanford when we started uh, the research project, which eventually became Skylo, was that all the existing networks were designed and built around connecting people. Fundamentally, right? They were solving the problem of broadband connectivity for you and me but what we recognized was that the world's machines especially those uh, in remote and underserved areas like farms or out at sea equally require a reliable network that is available 100 percent of the time but also happens to be extremely low cost and that combination never existed in the past so even 5g is essentially an overlay on the existing cellular footprint further excluding those remote locations and those applications which continue to be under-connected. And so our vision for, for Skylo was connecting industries, including farming, fisheries, and logistics, among others, to enhance operations to completely digitize their businesses and move from analog processes to digital and connected processes, enhancing and transforming lives and businesses across the world. So that's, uh, that's uh, essentially how we see it. And we actually worked our way back from end applications while pursuing the technological path. We didn't lose sight of customer applications. You know, we consistently spoke to our customers our potential customers at the time and uh, stayed in touch with uh, the evolving needs of the market.
0: Extremely interesting. And, you know, I can appreciate the bottom up growth phenomena and the approach I think um, I've seen too much of the top-down approaches where people build uh, a lot of things and then they expect uh, communities to come in and use it. What was the earliest, you know, use cases uh, that you thought, you know, I have a company here, and this is kind of scalable, and you know, if you can talk a little bit about the initial set of adoption bottlenecks from your own early stage, you know, evangelization of your service to the community or the industry.
1: Sure. So we you know, started out with a set of hypotheses on which markets would be the early adopters for connectivity. And, you know, I reached out, I must have cold called more than 300 different folks across different industry sectors and spoken to them live. We found that equipment alongside vehicles being connected, a large percentage of equipment, I'm talking about everything from tractors and, you know, bulldozers to harvesters, combines, were unconnected because the challenge was of high connectivity cost and the unavailability of traditional means of connectivity. So it was definitely a fact that companies such as, you know, John Deere's of the world needed data out of uh, their machines to serve, better serve farmers on the ground. But uh, uh, connectivity was either unavailable or too expensive. And so it was just a consistent theme that we saw play out across different customers we spoke to in that particular industry. And then we started, you know, branching out. And one of the challenges in IoT is actually you can end up doing, you can end up spreading yourself quite thin. Now, there are so many applications every day that you hear about. And you know, California, for instance, where I studied, there there were wildfires uh, still are. And uh, you know, one of the applications is how do you provide sensors to help uh, detect the early onset of fires. And there are just so many applications that uh, we decided early on that we're going to focus on three critical use cases where there is evidenced demand and where we can build a very consistent end-to-end customer experience, which I'll talk about shortly. And so we honed in on remote equipment connectivity, fisheries, as well as logistics and by logistics, I mean connectivity for trucks, railway carriages, you know, long distance uh, cargo and so on. And, and we went fairly deep within these industries to really hone in on the challenges that the customer faced within each and, you know, discovered all of the interesting and exciting applications for data and then worked our, our, our way backwards and ended up with basically a end to end service offering for the market. Which essentially consists of three things. So, the first is the Skylo antenna terminal, which we call the Skylo Hub, which is essentially a plug and play device for IoT that makes communications seamless. It has our built in antenna technology, which connects to the Skylo satellite based network and mobilizes data two way and uh, gives you connectivity both on the move and for stationary applications. The second is the network itself, of course, which uh, is a data service. And the third uh, is the data platform, which runs on the web, accessible on both mobile, on tablet or on desktop for immediate use, either in the field or in the customer's command center, where they can, again, monitor all their business activities, take actions in real time. And so it was not just solving connectivity, but really solving business challenges in each of these industries
0: and did you think that um, a vertical integration approach right to the satellite ownership would be a strategy or you are riding on you know satellite capacity from existing satellites out there and you know looking at innovating mostly on the end user side and you know service provision
1: yep Uh, it's absolutely the latter for us we realized one of the biggest bottlenecks is in the cost of hardware and the cost of service. And so early on, our innovation focused on those two areas. How do you fundamentally reduce the CapEx and OpEx from a you know, customer's perspective in using a connectivity service over satellite? Because as soon as you, know, you hear satellite, you think, OK, great, this is going to be a super expensive, exotic solution that I have. To, that's the barrier that we had to fundamentally break. And the secret sauce there actually doesn't reside on the satellite uh, portion, because as I previously said, I don't mean this in a disrespectful way to satellite operators. I think I'm an aerospace engineer myself, but architectures for for space uh, systems, space-based systems will continue to evolve. And satellites are fundamentally, you know, doing the job of very efficiently mirroring signal that is received from the ground To an earth station right that is the fundamental job of a communication satellite and the efficiency will continue to improve over time but the challenge is how do you make the equipment for the user for the customer as low cost as possible as easy to use as possible and then if we agree that these were previously completely unconnected users we're giving them connectivity for the first time for many of these customers we're we're the very first line of data that they have received in that location. Whether it's a you know primary healthcare center or an ambulance in a remote district in Bihar, which is being connected for the first time, or whether it's a fishing vessel off the coast of Karnataka, we're the first line of connectivity into them. So how do you provide that end-to-end solution where they start benefiting from day zero from the solution and it becomes a part of their uh, day-to-day life? And that's exactly what we focused on.
0: Right. And you talked about, you know, your experiences in the U S talking to end users in the U S and you brought a couple of use cases in India. now I believe that you also have uh, an India office and a lot of the engineering also happening in, in Bangalore. That's correct. Right.
1: That's right. When we started the company, we had a realization early on that the biggest beneficiary for new methods of IOT connectivity, It's going to be emerging markets. So uh, for us, India was kind of the default choice. It was the country of choice for our launch and operations because the awareness of data and data-driven applications is super high. If you talk to any kind of Indian and you see the transformations that have taken place in the country through data, practically every business owner, in fact, I will say every farmer, every fisherman, is aware of what data can do for their businesses. We also found that India and emerging markets in general are undertaking new infrastructure investments at a faster pace than ever before. And that's exactly the right timing for deploying IoT at scale is when you're investing in new infrastructure, you're you're building out. It's, it was very exciting for us as well because we get to come in and help define for an unconnected industry what this end-to-end solution will look like working with the customers right and so India was for us the market of choice uh, for launch very early on we were quite firm in uh, that decision our investors were also extremely excited about the prospect of uh, launching and scaling the business as a as a India first entity and uh, regarding you know price points and operating costs we we applied the Frank Sinatra test. You know, if you can make it in India, you can you can make it anywhere. So uh, all of that. Incidentally, uh, NPI also had an opportunity to uh, meet with uh, Prime Minister Modi. He also visited Silicon Valley. And he's always been somebody who has encouraged high tech. And so we found it very conducive timing to launch the business from India and staying true to our commitment to uh, launching the business from india as an india uh, entity really we set up our office in bangalore we have more than 60 people now in india and uh, we are also manufacturing designing and manufacturing all of our uh, hubs in uh, india
0: excellent and um, you talked a little bit about the problems like john deere and you know some of them which are enterprise customers you know have yeah. um, enterprise connected to the communities largely spread out and in the US and I'm guessing you're also you know traveling back and forth of course. Were there you know end users in India that you spoke to because the phenomena of doing business and the cultural problems that are in absorbing technology and you know the necessary evangelization that is needed to draw people into using a service like this is maybe very different in the US and in India. So can you talk about, let's say, India-specific use cases that you had to run through or communities that you had to talk through?
1: Absolutely. Uh, You know, my general comment would be that the structures in India are are very different, as you rightly said, NP. There are also a lot more stakeholders that you have to talk to for any given sector. So I think The amount of awareness generation that you have to do across the board, you've got to fly at multiple different altitudes. And I think that's the key to uh, kind of uh, unlocking any opportunity in India is is very quickly figuring out or mapping out the different stakeholders that you need to talk to in any given sector and passionately being able to do that. So I, I can maybe talk about a few use cases where Skylo is deployed today and kind of walk you through how we engage with. The different communities, if that would be helpful, uh, NP. Yeah, please do. Yeah. Sure. So, so you know, maybe I can I can start by talking a little bit about the fisheries sector, which is a very important and uh, growing sector for us. And uh, I'll just share a little bit of context here. It's not immediately intuitive how IoT and fisheries are is linked. So maybe I'll just take a step back and and share a little bit about uh, the use case itself both in fisheries and farming, the problem that we're solving is having to meet a ever-growing demand for global food production. The Prime Minister has also set a very ambitious goal of doubling our fisheries production uh, under the Blue Revolution. And the maritime industry, I find, is undergoing a very rapid change, both before COVID and then, of course, COVID has caused fundamental changes in the way we think about fisheries and routes to market. So Right now, there is a phenomenal opportunity and need for a technology and data aided approach to marine uh, production in making the food supply chain more resilient and helping the fishermen become much more self reliant in terms of the use of uh, uh, data. With that context, you know, we looked at how we can fundamentally do three things in the fishery sector. First was how do we save lives? Because we're talking about a sector where most boats are less than 24 meters in size. These fishermen don't have any kind of connectivity deep into the sea and are routinely, unfortunately lost at sea and are hindered very often by erratic weather events, you know, growing with climate change. Second is how do we boost fisherman productivity? And that is around, of course, how do we improve their livelihood? How do we improve the sector's GDP overall and the efficiency with which they operate? And the third is around sustainability. And sustainability is around traceability of uh, catch, sourcing, you know, ensuring that there's a good match between demand and supply, uh, essentially. So you no know, overfishing, underfishing, and so on. And so we had to engage with both the fisheries department centrally with the Ministry of Fisheries you know, understand historically what the challenges have been and uh, also engage directly with the end users uh, on the ground. So both the fleet owners, as well as the fishermen. And I, I actually found that the fishermen and the fleet owners very tech savvy, may not use jargon like IOT, it doesn't really matter. But in fact, they were the ones coming to us and telling us that, hey, if you're providing connectivity at sea, why don't you also help me measure my bilge or my fuel level? Why don't you also help me measure the temperature of my fish? Because it needs to be refrigerated in transit. And if it you know gets spoiled, then I will not be able to sell it. So we found there to be a lot of awareness of uh, fundamentally how data can uh, transform the industry. The bridge that we had to make is in how Skylo is going to help fisheries do each of these three things that I described. So that required a lot of, you know, visiting ports, sitting down uh, with the uh, fishing communities, you know, as I said, flying at all different uh, altitudes here and engaging in a very productive manner and understanding what the challenges are on the ground, what day-to-day issues they face, and then making, making them aware as to how two-way connectivity can help Fishermen stay in touch with their families, boost both productivity and morale at sea, help the fleet owners stay connected with the markets, as well as keep their fleets in touch with the markets and market prices, despite their boats and their fleets being 300 nautical miles away from the shore. So I I found that discovery process to be very fascinating. And I can probably use that example as a template for every other sector with more or less perhaps uh, discussions that we had to do with various state or central government uh, departments, right? Logistics sector, for instance, right now, there is a very strong and emergent need for increasing the the efficiency and the scale of operations for logistics in our country, you know, with e-commerce rising after the COVID-19 pandemic, with the agriculture activities also requiring efficient logistics. Otherwise food is spoiled in transit as you're aware. So hinterland connectivity remains a challenge. So we had to engage with uh, everyone from, you know, the truck drivers who are operating, you know, equipment in these very high stress situations and conditions, you know, all the way to fleet owners to, you know, various uh, state governments who own fleets and operate fleets themselves. So in in that respect, I, I think uh, any industry that we engage in, we engage in very fully, and we really understand how the end customer is going to benefit from data from our solution, and then we work uh, backwards.
0: India, of course, you know, again with the diversity in languages, communities are split. You know, even within yep. the fishing community, you have millions of fishermen who are all different to each other because they speak different languages and have different access point into the markets, Uh, although as a single number, when the fishing community looks super big, there are a lot of the internal intricacies because of all of this. Um, Are there any both technology and service kind of um, innovations that you had to do locally for India, Mm -hmm. which, um, you know, which made you get better traction among these communities?
1: Sure. That's a thoughtful question. And I think technology is a big leveler, right? We talk about different languages and our country is so rich with diversity and technology can only help. And the way in which we do that, we've localized our app to support 13 major Indian languages. So, you know, fishermen from different States, they could speak in their local language over the Skylo network, of course, messaging and access data and languages that is familiar to them. So we've addressed the localization needs of the market. And we've also looked at you know, how our messaging and awareness uh, campaigns that we're running, how can they be better tailored to the audience uh, that we're speaking to? So, for instance, when we're reaching out to uh, audiences in the farming or the fisheries communities, we always do it in the local uh, language of whichever state we're operating in. We all our kind of brochures all the way to our WhatsApp campaigns is done in a manner that is extremely familiar to them. And we also take a lot of time in education. So we send folks who speak our trainers. So we have a train the trainers program where folks from my operations team would go and train various communities on how to conduct installs uh, of our equipment, how to use the equipment over time, how to maintain it and so on. Uh, and we do that again. Uh, Language is, of course, uh, the big uh, leveler here, and we connect with them. Uh, ultimately, that's uh, what uh, is required to build a very strong foundation in the market.
0: Right, and you talked about um, some of the communities, right, where you're directly working with the community. Yep. There are many use cases, of course, in space-based IoT and you know this connectivity that institutional players yes. would have to intervene, for communities to then get access, yes. A lot of the things in farming may be rel- related to this because farmers by themselves, you know, small and marginal farmers themselves may not be able to afford any service uh, of this resort, you know, this kind uh, to 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 you know get that benefit, and they'll yes. have to depend on institutional players and you know subsidies from uh, government and other institutional players to, to use it, right? So, what are your experiences? with such, you know, engagement with such communities? How do you evangelize institutional players and the government to make sure that this gets passed on to those communities?
1: One big uh, learning or realization in the IoT market is that the end user is not necessarily the end customer. And so, as I mentioned, that there are many different stakeholders involved here too if you're not successful in addressing the needs of the end user, you will not be successful in the, you know, making the business case successful for the customer because fundamentally, if the farmer in this case, let's say, is not seeing the benefit in the solution and he or she stops using the service or the product, that's a failure for the business case. And so engaging with all the, the stakeholders is is an extremely important sort of aspect uh, of our business development and marketing efforts, and we what we find is that institutions are looking at applying the most state of the art data AI based ML based applications to benefit the end user communities, and that is I think where we can play a very significant role so i'll tell you a very simple example right if you think about the total addressable base in india for farmers who can afford to buy a tractor outright the number is surprisingly small right i i myself come from originally a, a farming family so so i can relate to that and we have farms ourselves and kutch and, you know, it's, we, historically, my ancestors could never afford to buy farm equipment and apply it on the field. But now, as both distributors as well as OEMs transition with technology to shared use models, you know, what Uber and Ola have done within cities, companies are finding that they have been successful in limited pilots for deploying connected tractors on farms where farmers can perhaps rent shared time on a tractor for a few hundred rupees per, per acre hour and uh, benefit from mechanization and pr- productivity gains on their farms for the first time. And that's exactly where connectivity can play a massive uh, role because you know less than 70% of uh, India's uh, more than 70 of India's farms uh, are underconnected or underserved just simply because of the geographic location in which they are at. And so we engage with the companies that are selling tractors, distributing tractors or renting them along with the OEMs uh, to make such uh, business cases possible for end users uh, who are the farmers.
0: With respect to the solutions that you are architecting and you know rolling out in India, going back to a little bit on the involving institutional players to prove out this so that communities come through, the approach that you would want to take is a region or a season or, you know, a kind of a concept or a, a case study based on a particular region and you prove it out to certain, you know, institutional stakeholders that it works in this region and you, it works for this community. And then, you know, you then prove it to them that there is value to here, to invest in this and then scale it up. Of, because, you know, ultimately what I, why I'm trying to ask this is mm-hmm. because there are two different structures and decision-making if you let's say involve the government in that sense as an institution Uh player there's the federal system and there's the state system and the states operate independently and they have their own mandate and the federal government has its own mandate and you know sometimes you don't know who's responsible for what and sometimes you know the states have bigger mandates and bigger controlling powers and decision-making powers in certain regions or certain industries or sectors than the federal government right so so the scaling up you know is a challenge in that sense because if you let's say evangelize one state and a region in a state maybe that state government decides that you know this is good for our state and this is good for our you know community that is living here in our borders and they accept to do it right so that's where i'm trying to understand how do you evangelize people as institutional players at the federal state level so this scales up to the entire country and not just to certain states or certain regions within the country.
1: Got it. And it really depends on what sector you're talking about because some some topics are federal subjects, some topics are state subjects. And if you're talking about a state subject, we and if the indeed the buyer or the subsidizer is the state government, then of course uh, we would have you know. Uh, we would uh, spread awareness at the state government level. We would ensure that all the stakeholders are aware of the benefits of our solution. I think I might have also uh, mentioned that we have a partnership with uh, BSNL now. And that really helps in our the uh, velocity with which we can spread awareness and engage with both the state and the federal government uh, across organizations and departments, because obviously we're a small team. But uh, with uh, the support of uh, BSNL and our other partners, we are able to effectively talk to the respective uh, stakeholders, both at you know every state level, in some in some instances or some use cases, you know down to the gram panchayat level, you know all the way up to the central ministry, where you know I myself uh, engage directly.
0: And you talked about you know some of the hubs being uh, developed and manufactured in India and so on, so. Which are some of the other areas where you think that local companies, even maybe potentially a satellite operator to come up from the private sector could work with you in the coming years or so on. So which would you which are some of these areas that um, people can focus on innovating that might complement what you are trying to do and would give them some pointers?
1: As I said, the timing is just right for the IoT and the data sectors in India. We are building a platform, fundamentally, if you think about it, we are uh, building a connectivity platform that is extremely simple and cost-effective for these various uh, markets, but we're not limiting ourselves to these two or three market applications uh, only, and in fact, we invite India's entrepreneurs and India's industry to innovate on our platform by leveraging the APIs that we have built to use our data platform and build innovative end-to-end solutions for markets that we may not have even considered. The only way for us to be successful at scale is for making others successful in adopting uh, and building out new solutions you know, that solves uh, challenges that we could have never even thought of. So we, we are working with several such entrepreneurs, several such companies who are using our API and building kind of new applications uh, on top of that, on top of our connectivity layer. And the second piece is in how we can unlock the world of sensors. So there's also a massive manu- manufacturing opportunity, I feel, in India for different kinds of sensors that can give us new information about our environment, about uh, our business. And you know the I feel the next disruptions Uh, that you're going to find in the IOT uh, world of sensors, I'm sure it's going to come out of India. Uh, There's just so much rich talent uh, available. And, uh, you know, I feel that even if there's a small team of students in Bangalore or in Calcutta who are working on a new end-to-end solution, let's say for forest fire detection in Manipur, we had a big challenge uh, a couple of weeks ago. They should be perfectly happy to take our solution on a Saturday morning and by the afternoon, you know, have built out using our APIs a complete end-to-end forest fire detection system.
0: Fascinating. And uh, can you talk us through a couple of maybe examples of the API use cases, um, you know, that are ongoing, if that's possible?
1: Sure. So uh, we will be announcing a few of those uh, in the coming days, and they have... And strong linkages to the markets that we're currently serving. So there are large sort of enterprise applications where the user of the API and the end customer are the same entity. And we are also making uh, end-to-end solutions available, such as you know the ability to sense fuel or the ability to sense soil moisture from the ground. So we're working with various uh, folks uh, in India to enable end-to-end solutions with uh, new sensors, which will be compatible with uh, Skylo's uh, network.
0: Are there any, you know, kind of a network effect, uh, or maybe not network effect may not be the right word here. Let's say it's a third degree effect to your work in, um, in the industry because you're creating a layer of information that is not available or not present for a lot of the companies to use it, right? So for example, by using remote sensing information you know reinsurance companies yep. might benefit in some ways or the other not just you know insurance companies or uh, companies giving credit to to farmers or whoever right so there's that second or third level of um, uh, possibilities that are out there Do you even have the time and the energy and the bandwidth to even you know look at all of that?
1: I think you're talking about how metadata and others can be applied yep, for uh, sensor fusion and for uh, different applications. I think that's quite high up in Maslow's hierarchy of needs at the moment. And uh, we're currently solving for the bottom of the pyramid, which is uh, how do we fundamentally connect these industries for the first time? And uh, how do we start mobilizing data in high volume across uh, agriculture, across fisheries, logistics? And once we do that, I'm I'm sure our customers, with uh, their support, we will unlock opportunities for them through data. Uh, You know, we've got one of the best teams in the world. Uh, We've got talent from across the world and in India, which is focused on this uh, and working together with the industry. I'm very excited uh, to see what kind of data-driven applications come out of this. And, you know, very eager to also collaborate with uh, different kinds of sources of data, which help the end customer.
0: We've seen a few companies, you know, like Numerate or Satchar or many others. You see some of these end user applications that are very well tailored to Indian audience or Indian communities. Yes. They scale really very well into other countries. You know, they've done scaling into Southeast Asia, you know, Latin America, you know, Africa and so on. So I'm sure that, you know, you see this effect with your, you know, technology and service as well.
1: Absolutely. I think the the fundamental challenges faced by farmers or fishermen in India is no different than what's faced in other countries in South and Southeast Asia. There's going to remain a need for safety at sea. There's going to remain a need for connectivity or for communications at sea and so on and our job is to make that as efficient and as reliable as possible so we find that our solution can be used globally with uh, you know no change in our sku or our hardware or any kind of uh, special configuration so it's it's ready to be adopted and to be used on a global basis
0: and also more or less it's also about the pricing models and everything yes, else in the innovation absolutely. there as well right because when a company that is primarily, you know, based in the U S or innovated for the U S the ability of that company to, you know, service a country like India becomes extremely hard to know the local culture, you know, know what people can afford and what people cannot. And normally, you know, it's not built in that way.
1: Exactly. Exactly. In fact, all our installation manuals are language agnostic. They don't have any words in them, only pictures. So they've really thought about simplicity and focused on challenges that are unique to india but i find that the end result is something that can scale globally
0: right. and one of the bottlenecks that has always been in india for the last you know 10 20 30 years is um, ability for people to you know get access to the private markets or get access to these communities Um, because, you know, there's been a lot of the problems with the security situation when it comes to space and satellites and so on. And uh, people, you know, government, including even for services like DTH has always wanted to have a government interface to all of this before a service can be provided in India. So do you see the need for any immediate changes um, for your services to be successful in India that you would say, the government should prioritize in terms of uh, policy making there's a spacecom policy draft that has come out uh, i don't know how much of that has implications to you know making the environment for you to conduct business more easily but you know what is your opinions around this
1: i think that uh, the policy or the regulatory landscape in india has evolved quite a lot in the past decade or even in the past two to three years. For our business specifically, we're a partner to BSNL, which is a public sector undertaking. We're supported by the Department of Telecom for rolling out our services in India. And so, you know, we've actually received a lot of good support, very constructive support from the government in enabling this from India first. Any technology NP has, you know, a need to be marketed quickly. Any new technology, you know, there's especially startup. So the ability for government and government processes to be matched to the velocity with which a startup needs to operate, you know, I'm starting to see that happen. And I'm very optimistic about uh, India. I remain optimistic about the opportunities in India. And also, I think the government has realized the massive potential that the sector holds And so I welcome the transformations that either have taken place or are about to take place in the space sector through uh, the various policy measures, which will benefit, uh, you know, folks uh, across the board, across the supply chain, uh, from launch all the way to satellite operations.
0: Final question. Um, What is, uh, you know, the landscape looking for you guys in the next five to 10 years? You know, what is it that you want to see yourself achieving?
1: Uh, Sure, and five to 10 years is super, super long time horizon for a startup. But having said that, we're super excited by what's ahead, right? So we uh, aspire to become a household name as far as uh, IoT connectivity is concerned, permeating into small and medium businesses alike, and directly impacting how these businesses operate. So if you think about wide area coverage or connectivity, you know, inside the home, you use Wi-Fi and Bluetooth within a city for your personal connectivity, for connecting even your business applications, you know, you would use GSM or you'd use cellular networks and outside of cities or for applications that demand a very high amount of network availability, you'd use SkyLo. And ultimately we will be successful when all of the sectors where we are marketing our product are using our services for their fundamental business operations are finding benefit from it and they're they're giving us very rich uh, insights uh, which feed back into the kind of features that we develop and build into the platform that allow us to innovate keep our costs low on the ground and uh, scale our operations so you know we owe our progress to uh, the uh, market to the customers and we'll com- continue to remain a highly customer-focused uh, company that is launched in India, but uh, is poised to serve the entire world.
0: So again, Park, thank you so much for taking uh, so much of your time in uh, you know talking about Skylo. It's fascinating and I wish you luck in, uh, in all the scaling up activity and I'm sure that uh, you'll do great things for many of the communities in India and uh, good luck with everything.
1: Thank you, NP. Uh, And it was also very fascinating to learn about your journey early on, which uh, didn't get covered as part of this podcast, but perhaps we'll do a reverse podcast someday.